everybody, it is Wednesday, September 19th, 2018, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eisleblake, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. It's been a few weeks since I last said that I felt like doing an episode, and well, things got busy at work, and life just finds a way to get away from you. So, nevertheless, I'm here to talk a little bit about uh, some of the car news, some of the cultural changes that are happening, uh, and then at least have a little bit of an off-road or uh, a little little morsel of fun information at the end of the episode. So uh, to kick things off, we're going to talk a little about some uh, things from Hyundai and Kia, as well as Toyota. Uh, in the culture segment, we'll talk a little bit about technology in your vehicle and how quickly it's kind of changed, and it's changed in a very interesting way. I also want to talk a little bit about luxury uh, EVs and the big changes that are coming up there. And then, as I said, the last little bit, we'll talk a bit about the Suzuki Jimny, a forbidden fruit for uh, us here in the United States. Uh, One that would be really interesting to have come here, and I can think of at least one way it could happen. Uh, But yeah, we'll talk a little about that and more at the end of the show. So without further ado, after the bump, we'll talk about some news. So a little bit about the compact twins from Kia and Hyundai. Uh, Kia has unveiled an all-new 2019 Forte, which I believe is updating its chassis to the current one that is under the uh, Elantra, which has been around for just a few short years. Uh, This new Forte is larger overall in size, much closer to where the Honda Civic is at, which is borderline a midsize sedan at this point. Uh, The car takes a lot of styling cues from its uh, older sibling, the Kia Stinger. Uh, The Stinger, of course, is the sporty full-size sedan uh, that Kia just put on sale late last year. Uh, Exterior-wise, you get that kind of notched grille, kind of the aggressive headlamps, and then on the back you've got some sportier taillights and other accessories to make the car look like a much more credible street machine. Uh, Under the interior, you know, it really reminds me a lot of Volkswagen's from about a generation or so ago. And by that I mean it was kind of Volkswagen making amends for having so many mistakes over the years uh, in their small cars. And they really started giving a damn when it came to the Golf and the Jetta. Uh, This really feels like that, at least in terms of like visual design. Uh, Tacitly, you know, it's going to be hard to say. If it's anything like the current Elantra, it's going to be very good. Uh, the design is just clean, and it's things seem to be placed in the right way. You know, it's it's just good. Uh, Kia also said that they're going to make the 8-inch touchscreen with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto standard on all trims and models of the Forte, which is a nice touch for them as they continue to put pressure on Honda and Toyota. Uh, there will be some standard safety uh, sense equipment as well. Um, I'm not a quite sure where that all lays out because, of course, higher trim models tend to get the better safety equipment standard. Uh, another thing that they are making standard on all models is automatic climate control, which isn't always the greatest thing in the world. Uh, but in a state where it can fly between the mid to upper 50s first thing in the morning and by the time you're out for lunch, it's like 78. Uh, you know, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Uh, what else is new on the new Kia? Well, not a whole lot. They've got carryover powertrains for the most part, but the new announcement is the CVT automatic transmission. This is the first CVT that Kia has done, uh, I think ever. I feel like there may have been a CVT Soul at one point, but, uh, they're saying that this is the first ever. 
Nevertheless, uh, it is a sign of the times as uh, many automotive brands are now giving in and putting CVTs and pretty much everything that is a subcompact, compact, or mid-size sedan uh, just seems to be the way things are going. Uh, early drives of this Forte seem to indicate that the CVT is pretty good, but it does suffer from some of the rubber banding uh, things where it takes a second to get going, and then when you let off the gas, it takes a second for the transmission to realize that you're trying to slow down. Not a huge deal in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, not a huge deal in, you know, some drives, but it can be a little bit awkward for those of us that are used to rowing our own gears or having a conventional torque converter automatic that... Well, it's just something that just works. Uh, the CVT does increase fuel economy quite a bit, though. Uh, they're saying as much as like 10 to 15% gains on some things. Uh, the highway, our city and highway fuel ratings on the CVT equipped uh, Forte is 31 in the city, and I think it's 41 or 42 on the highway, which is right around class leading without having some crazy hybrid trickery or other kinds of things like that. Uh, so overall, pretty damn good. Now, Flipping things over to Hyundai, where the Elantra's been out for a little while, and I would say is one of the most attractive compact cars uh, for sale on the market, at least in terms of the 2018 model. The 2019 model gains a whole new front end. It's got a new bumper, uh, new front quarter panels, new headlights, all that kind of stuff. The rear also gets a bit of an update too, which I think ties it a little more in line with where the Sonata has been at. Um, this... New model is adopting the new design language of Hyundai overall, uh, where you see some of their new fuel cell vehicles that are coming out of Korea, uh, some of the changes that have come with the Kona. It's okay. Uh, it's taking a car design that I really, really liked a lot and taking it to a place where I'm not quite as confident with it. That's not to say that's necessarily bad. I think it's just going to take some time to get used to it. How would I describe the design? It's kind of combining the best and worst of Audi, Toyota, and Lexus and kind of giving it a bit of a Hyundai perspective. And I mean that in both the best and worst way possible. It's got a really large gaping mall like what a lot of the current Toyota and Lexus vehicles have and it has the very aggressive LED headlights from most Audi models these days. You've got the big kind of italicized floating H in the center which Still ties it together with the current Hyundai lineup, but it, it just looks kind of weird. The back end looks great. I love the new rear taillights, but the new front, I'm going to have to see it in person. I, I just don't think it looks good in photographs. Hyundai did also tweak the interior a little bit as well. Um, it sounds like they're making some new standard features available. Um, sounds like it's going to basically be in line with the Forte with the standard Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Uh, standard dual zone climate control, which the Elantra GT has had for a few short years now. Um... But overall, you know, you're getting just a little bit of just an increased bit of luxury, a little bit more of a nuance touched when it comes to design. It's still a very good looking car, especially from the interior wise. It's still one of the best values on the segment. The car is going to still start around $18,000 uh, and a very well equipped model is going to be available for you for right around twenty dollars uh, which is great. Uh, sportier trims, you know, still dip into the uh, low mid $20,000 range with the 200 plus horsepower turbocharged engines. Um, but like, I think model to model, the highest price increase is about 600 bucks. And considering how much more you're getting, it does make it worthwhile, even if the styling isn't quite as strong. Uh, would I wholeheartedly recommend these cars over the Honda Civic? Maybe. I think it's a kind of a case-by-case -case basis here with these cars. But uh, they make strong cases for each other, especially 
the new Forte. Um, I think I might lean a little bit more towards the Elantra still. Hyundai is committing to a six-speed automatic. Like I said, the Forte's got a CVT. So in that kind of situation, it kind of depends on where your powertrain preferences lie. Uh, but yeah, that's some interesting news about Kia and Hyundai. So a little bit about the compact twins from Kia and Hyundai. Uh, Kia has unveiled an all-new 2019 Forte, which I believe is updating its chassis to the current one that is under the uh, Elantra, which has been around for just a few short years. Uh, this new Forte is larger overall in size, much closer to where the Honda Civic is at, which is borderline a midsize sedan at this point. Uh, the car takes a lot of styling cues from its uh, older sibling, the Kia Stinger. Uh, the Stinger, of course, is the sporty full-size sedan uh, that Kia just put on sale late last year. Uh, Exterior-wise, you get that kind of notched grille, kind of the aggressive headlamps, and then on the back you've got some sportier taillights and other accessories to make the car look like a much more credible street machine. Uh, onto the interior, you know, it really reminds me a lot of Volkswagens from about a generation or so ago. And by that I mean it was kind of Volkswagen making amends for having so many mistakes over the years uh, in their small cars. And they really started giving a damn when it came to the Golf and the Jetta. Uh, this really feels like that, at least in terms of like visual design. Uh, tacitly, you know, it's going to be hard to say. If it's anything like the current Elantra, it's going to be very good. Uh, the design is just clean and it's things seem to be placed in the right way. You know, it's it's just good. Uh, Kia also said that they're going to make the 8-inch touchscreen with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto standard on all trims and models of the Forte, which is a nice touch for them as they continue to put pressure on Honda and Toyota. Uh, there will be some standard safety uh, sense equipment as well. Um, I'm not quite sure where that all lays out because, of course, higher trim models tend to get the better safety equipment standard. Uh, another thing that they are making standard on all models is automatic climate control, which isn't always the greatest thing in the world. Uh, but in a state where it can fly between the mid to upper 50s first thing in the morning and by the time you're out for lunch, it's like 78. Uh, you know, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Uh, what else is new on the new Kia? Well, not a whole lot. They've got carryover powertrains for the most part, but the new announcement is the CVT automatic transmission. This is the first CVT that Kia has done, uh, I think, ever. I feel like there may have been a CVT Soul at one point, but uh, they're saying that this is the first ever. Nevertheless, uh, it is a sign of the times, as uh, many automotive brands are now giving in and putting CVTs and pretty much Everything that is a subcompact, compact, or mid-size sedan uh, just seems to be the way things are going. Uh, early drives of this Forte seem to indicate that the CVT is pretty good, but it does suffer from some of the rubber banding uh, things where it takes a second to get going, and then when you let off the gas, it takes a second for the transmission to realize that you're trying to slow down. Not a huge deal in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, not a huge deal in, you know, some drives, but it can be a little bit awkward for those of us that are used to rowing our own gears or having a conventional torque converter automatic that, well, it's just something that just works. Uh, the CVT does increase fuel economy quite a bit, though. Uh, they're saying as much as like 10 to 15% gains on some things. Uh, the highway, our city and highway fuel ratings on the CVT equipped uh, Forte is 31 in the city, and I think it's 41 or 42 on the highway, which 
is right around class leading without having some crazy hybrid trickery and other kinds of things like that. Uh, so overall, pretty damn good. Now, flipping things over to Hyundai, where the Elantra's been out for a little while, and I would say is one of the most attractive compact cars uh, for sale on the market, at least in terms of the 2018 model, the 2019 model gains a whole new front end. It's got a new bumper, uh, new front quarter panels, new headlights, all that kind of stuff. The rear also gets a bit of an update too, which I think ties it a little more in line with where the Sonata has been at. Um, this new model is adopting the new design language of Hyundai overall, uh, where you see some of their new fuel cell vehicles that are coming out of Korea, uh, some of the changes that have come with the Kona, it's okay. Uh, it's taking a car design that I really, really liked a lot and taking it to a place where I'm not quite as confident with it. That's not to say that's necessarily bad. I think it's just going to take some time to get used to it. How would I describe the design? It's kind of combining the best and worst of Audi, Toyota, and Lexus and kind of giving it a bit of a Hyundai perspective. And I mean that in both the best and worst way possible. It's got a really large gaping maw, like what a lot of the current Toyota and Lexus vehicles have, and it has the very aggressive LED headlights from most Audi models these days. You've got the big kind of italicized floating H in the center, which still ties it together with the current Hyundai lineup, but it, it just looks kind of weird. The back end looks great. I love the new rear taillights, but the new front, I'm Gonna have to see it in person. I, I just don't think it looks good in photographs. Hyundai did also tweak the interior a little bit as well. Um, it sounds like they're making some new standard features available. Um, sounds like it's gonna basically be in line with the Forte with the standard Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, uh, standard dual zone climate control, which the Elantra GT has had for a few short years now. Um, but overall, you know, you're getting just a little bit of just an increased bit of luxury, a little bit more of a nuance touched when it comes to design. It's still a very good looking car, especially from the interior wise. It's still one of the best values in the segment. The car is going to still start around $18,000 uh, and a very well equipped model is going to be available for you for right around twenty dollars uh, which is great. Uh, sportier trims, you know, still dip into the uh, low mid $20,000 range with the 200 plus horsepower turbocharged engines. Um, but like, I think model to model, the highest price increase is about 600 bucks. And considering how much more you're getting, it does make it worthwhile, even if the styling isn't quite as strong. Uh, would I wholeheartedly recommend these cars over the Honda Civic? Maybe. I think it's a kind of a case by case basis here with these cars, but, uh, they make strong cases for each other, especially the new Forte. Um, I think I might lean a little bit more towards the Elantra still. Hyundai is committing to a six-speed automatic. Like I said, the Forte's got a CVT, so in that kind of situation, it kind of depends on where your powertrain preferences lie. Uh, but yeah, that's some interesting news about Kia and Hyundai. So one of the things I love talking about at least in the news segments, is whether or not cars are Android Auto, Apple CarPlay compatible. And I think infotainment systems are a very important thing to talk about with newer vehicles as technology continues to progress aggressively. Uh, you know, it's really shocking to consider how just six or seven years ago, what was a huge step forward for technology in vehicles with Ford Sync, which was basically an over-glorified Bluetooth integration with some types of phones 
and how much that changed the game till now where we're in a point where uh, you're basically jamming an iPad into the dashboard of your vehicle and if you don't have that it's not a good car anymore. Uh, it's huge news when Nissan, Renault, Mitsubishi, their automobile alliance announces that they're going to be joining Google as a primary partner for all their infotainment systems starting in 2021. Now there are a lot of questions about what exactly that means. Is it going to be a Google-based platform? Is it going to still be a little bit open but it primarily runs Google software? We don't exactly know. Um, historically speaking, companies like Microsoft, BlackBerry, Linux, um, and then a few proprietary uh, iterations have been done by BMW and Mercedes and a few others. Those have been the mainstream best of the best things out there. And so you get a company like Ford who started originally with Microsoft with Sync 1 and 2 and eventually moved to BlackBerry with Sync 3. I believe what you have in Fiat Chrysler with their Uconnect system, I want to say that's Linux-based, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, GM does their own proprietary system for the most part that's kind of, I believe, Linux-based as well, or maybe it's Unix. Uh, Microsoft has done some stuff for Kia and Toyota. It's been kind of a mess over the past few years, and the solution to simplifying a lot of that has been uh, adding Apple CarPlay and Android Auto connectivity to these vehicles to kind of graft over the baseline system. Uh, what it sounds like to me with this Nissan Renault thing is that it's going to be basically be Android running on your dashboard with fairly up-to-date hardware, and that hardware can take updates over the next couple of years. Whether it's over the air or something you have to go to the dealer for, that kind of remains to be seen, uh, but it sounds like it's going to be a pretty flexible platform. Google wants to make it so you can download apps from the Play Store directly to your car, which kind of leads credence to the uh, iPad, Android Auto, or Android uh, tablet kind of comparison there. Um, so whether or not it's going to be particularly open source uh, remains to be seen. I'd be really curious as to whether or not Google's going to let Android Auto, or excuse me, Apple CarPlay run on this system. My guess would probably be yes but then my other question becomes how quick is apple going to develop something like this to put in other vehicles going forward um you know historically these infotainment systems have just been just a messy mess of execution i can only think of a few that have been truly good uh like i said fiat chrysler's you connect is generally considered to be one of the best systems out there especially in their uh, upper trim vehicles that have the very large touchscreen. I'm a big fan of what Hyundai and Kia have done over the past few years. Um, there's also been some strong uh, stuff done by General Motors and Volvo as well, but it really kind of depends on what you want to get out of it. Um, this hopefully answers some of those questions and balances things out. Um, you know, competition is very good. I just hope that it doesn't lock out other alternatives to Android Auto inside of those vehicles. Not to say that I would ever ditch Android for Apple, but I've definitely considered it. And as, or excuse me, Apple CarPlay starts to add Google Maps as an alternative inside of its ecosystem, uh, there definitely is room for working together with some of these brands. So we'll kind of see where things are going with this, but it's kind of interesting as technology just continues to change so quickly for all these cars, especially on your dashboard of what you touch and see every single day.
So one of the things I love talking about, at least in the news segments, is whether or not cars are Android Auto Apple CarPlay compatible. And I think infotainment systems are a very important thing to talk about with newer vehicles as technology continues to progress aggressively. Uh, you know, it's really shocking to consider how just six or seven years ago, what was a huge step forward for technology in vehicles with Ford Sync, which was basically an over-glorified Bluetooth integration with some types of phones, and how much that changed the game till now where we're in a point where uh, you're basically jamming an iPad into the dashboard of your vehicle, and if you don't have that, it's not a good car anymore. Uh, it's huge news when Nissan, Renault, Mitsubishi, their automobile alliance, announces that they're going to be joining Google as a primary partner for all their infotainment systems starting in 2021. Now, there are a lot of questions about what exactly that means. Is it going to be a Google-based platform? Is it going to still be a little bit open, but it primarily runs Google software? We don't exactly know. Um, historically speaking, companies like Microsoft, BlackBerry, Linux, um, and then a few proprietary uh, iterations have been done by BMW and Mercedes and a few others. Those have been the mainstream best of the best things out there. And so you get a company like Ford who started originally with Microsoft with Sync 1 and 2 and eventually moved to BlackBerry with Sync 3. I believe what you have in Fiat Chrysler with their Uconnect system, I want to say that's Linux-based, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, GM does their own or proprietary system for the most part that's kind of, I believe, Linux-based as well, or maybe it's Unix. Uh, Microsoft has done some stuff for Kia and Toyota. It's been kind of a mess over the past few years, and the solution to simplifying a lot of that has been uh, adding Apple CarPlay and Android Auto connectivity to these vehicles to kind of graft over the baseline system. Uh, what it sounds like to me with this Nissan Renault thing is that it's going to be basically be Android running on your dashboard with fairly up-to-date hardware, and that hardware can take updates over the next couple of years, whether it's over the air or something you have to go to the dealer for, that kind of remains to be seen, uh, but it sounds like it's going to be a pretty flexible platform. Google wants to make it so you can download apps from the Play Store directly to your car, which kind of leads credence to the uh, iPad, Android, auto, or Android uh, tablet kind of comparison there. Um, so whether or not it's going to be particularly open source uh, remains to be seen. I'd be really curious as to whether or not Google's going to let Android Auto, or excuse me, Apple CarPlay run on this system. My guess would probably be yes, but then my other question becomes, how quick is Apple going to develop something like this to put in other vehicles going forward? Um, you know, historically, these infotainment systems have just been just a messy mess of execution. I can only think of a few that have been truly good uh, like I said, Fiat Chrysler's Uconnect is generally considered to be one of the best systems out there, especially in their uh, upper trim vehicles that have the very large touchscreen. I'm a big fan of what Hyundai and Kia have done over the past few years. Um, there's also been some strong uh, stuff done by General Motors and Volvo as well, but it really kind of depends on what you want to get out of it. Um, this hopefully answers some of those questions and balances things out. Um, you know, competition is very good. I just hope that it doesn't lock out other alternatives to Android Auto inside of those vehicles. Not to say that I would ever ditch Android for Apple, but I've definitely considered it. And as 
or excuse me, Apple CarPlay starts to add Google Maps as an alternative inside of its ecosystem. Uh, there definitely is room for working together with some of these brands. So we'll kind of see where things are going with this, but it's kind of interesting as technology just continues to change so quickly for all these cars, especially on your dashboard with what you touch and see every single day. So last up, after this very long episode, is the uh, Suzuki Jimny. It's a car that's been on my mind for the past couple of months on and off, and with some official reviews now coming for it in the English-speaking part of the world, uh, I'm very excited to say that this is a very cool car, which unfortunately, more than likely, we'll probably never see in the United States, but there may be a workaround for that. Uh, the Jimny, if you're unaware, is basically the Japanese equivalent to the Jeep Wrangler. Uh, the Jimny is a very small, very capable four-wheel drive vehicle that's been sold uh, in markets all across the world since the 1970s. I believe we last had the Jimny in the U.S. sold as the Samurai, if I'm remembering correctly, and that was in the 90s. But with all the rollover issues and everything else, uh, it was one of many Suzuki vehicles that just kind of left in a hurry and never really came back. Uh, but this Suzuki Jimny is, you know, it's fresh. It's got a 21st century approach to what it's doing. It acknowledges a lot of what happened to it in the past and modernizes it to a new current standard. Uh, more or less, it's a box. Uh, it's a two-door box that has seating for four. Uh, you're not getting any more than four people in there. There is not a lot of room in the back seat. The space between the back seat and the rear tailgate is tiny. It's got a fully side-opening tailgate with a rear-mounted full-size spare tire, which, of course, always looks cool. Uh, Exterior-wise, though, you know, it, it looks like a tiny 4x4 crossover. There's not much that Suzuki really needs to do to get that point across. Um, inside, mechanically speaking, uh, also not a very complex vehicle. It's got a 1.5-liter naturally aspirated inline four that makes about 100 horsepower maybe a little bit more than that uh, it's mated to a five-speed manual transmission which i think also has an automatic as an option there is a two-speed transfer case that uh, lets you run it in two high uh, four high or four low to get you out of some precarious situations it's got a bunch of other fancy little doodads and things for off-roading including hill descent control and traction control and all that other stuff but uh this little thing its main thing that really gets you is because of its diminutive size which is smaller than a jeep wrangler and because of its light weight which is right around 2,000 pounds uh the vehicle really can get up any surface and get down it with relative ease and the really cool part about the jimny is that because it's so cheap and so basic they're about 20,000 pounds in the united kingdom that is dirt cheap for an SUV that is capable of doing what this thing does. You know, uh, you could buy a used Land Rover Defender, sure, but it'll never run. You could buy an imported Jeep Wrangler, but it's gonna be expensive to run because you gotta import all the parts from elsewhere in the world. Uh, there's not much that's going to do what this thing does for $20,000. And because it's so small, you can very easily drive it in towns and on back roads and things like that. But, you know, there's obvious reasons why it's so cheap. It looks like it's not made super well uh, in terms of interior plastics and quality control. Uh, it looks like it needs some more attention on some other design things. It's 
cheap. It's cheap, cheap, cheap. Like, I guess it, like, is cheap as, like, 15,000 pounds to, like, start, which is absolutely crazy. But, yeah, I would love to have this vehicle in the United States. As we're continuing to go SUV and crossover crazy, could you imagine a $20,000 Jeep Wrangler coming from Ford or GM or, let's say, Volkswagen? I think that would be super duper cool. And it kind of surprises me that, you know, let's say a company like Chevrolet, which doesn't currently have something to compete with Jeep and certainly won't have something to compete with Ford and the new Bronco that's coming out. Why not try to get this thing to come to the United States, get it federalized and sell it for 20 grand and undercut all of the competition? We'll probably never see that happen, but it seems like it would be a smart thing to do. Um... Who knows? I don't know. It's a crazy world out there right now. So, yeah, if you haven't had a chance, look up the Suzuki Jimny. There's a cool little ad online somewhere about it where some photographer is in Iceland and he goes and drives up a volcano and takes photos of the snow. It's pretty neat. Anyway, Suzuki Jimny. Check it out. So last up, after this very long episode, is the uh, Suzuki Jimny. It's a car that's been on my mind for the past couple of months on and off, and with some official reviews now coming for it in the English-speaking part of the world, uh, I'm very excited to say that this is a very cool car, which unfortunately, more than likely, we'll probably never see in the United States, but there may be a workaround for that. Uh, the Jimny, if you're unaware, is basically the Japanese equivalent to the Jeep Wrangler. Uh, the Jimny is a very small, very capable four-wheel drive vehicle that's been sold uh, in markets all across the world since the 1970s. I believe we last had the Jimny in the U.S. sold as the Samurai, if I'm remembering correctly, and that was in the 90s. But with all the rollover issues and everything else, uh, it was one of many Suzuki vehicles that just kind of left in a hurry and never really came back. Uh, but this Suzuki Jimny is, you know, it's fresh. It's got a 21st century approach to what it's doing. It acknowledges a lot of what happened to it in the past and modernizes it to a new current standard. Uh, more or less, it's a box. Uh, it's a two-door box that has seating for four. Uh, you're not getting any more than four people in there. There is not a lot of room in the back seat. The space between the back seat and the rear tailgate is tiny. It's got a fully side-opening tailgate with a rear-mounted full-size spare tire, which, of course, always looks cool. Uh, Exterior-wise, though, you know, it, it looks like a tiny 4x4 crossover. There's not much that Suzuki really needs to do to get that point across. Um, inside, mechanically speaking, uh, also not a very complex vehicle. It's got a 1.5-liter naturally aspirated inline four that makes about 100 horsepower maybe a little bit more than that uh, it's mated to a five-speed manual transmission which i think also has an automatic as an option there is a two-speed transfer case that uh, lets you run it in two high uh, four high or four low to get you out of some precarious situations it's got a bunch of other fancy little doodads and things for off-roading including hill descent control and traction control and all that other stuff but uh this little thing its main thing that really gets you is because of its diminutive size which is smaller than a jeep wrangler and because of its light weight which is right around 2,000 pounds uh the vehicle really can get up any surface and get down it with relative ease and the really cool part about the jimny is that because it's so cheap and so basic 
they're about 20,000 pounds in the United Kingdom. That is dirt cheap for an SUV that is capable of doing what this thing does. You know, uh, you could buy a used Land Rover Defender, sure, but it'll never run. You could buy an imported Jeep Wrangler, but it's going to be expensive to run because you got to import all the parts from elsewhere in the world. Uh, there's not much that's going to do what this thing does for $20,000. And because it's so small, you can very easily drive it in towns and on back roads and things like that. But, you know, there's obvious reasons why it's so cheap. It looks like it's not made super well uh, in terms of interior plastics and quality control. Uh, looks like it needs some more attention on some other design things. It's cheap. It's cheap, cheap, cheap. Like, I guess it like is cheap as like 15,000 pounds to like start, which is absolutely crazy. But yeah, I would love to have this vehicle in the United States. As we're continuing to go SUV and crossover crazy, could you imagine a $20,000 Jeep Wrangler coming from Ford or GM or let's say Volkswagen? I think that would be super duper cool. And it kind of surprises me that, you know, let's say a company like Chevrolet, which doesn't currently have something to compete with Jeep and certainly won't have something to compete with Ford and the new Bronco that's coming out, why not try to get this thing to come to the United States, get it federalized, and sell it for 20 grand and undercut all of the competition? We'll probably never see that happen, but it seems like it would be a smart thing to do. Um, who knows? I don't know. It's a crazy world out there right now. So, yeah, if you haven't had a chance, look up the Suzuki Jimny. There's a cool little ad online somewhere about it where some photographers in Iceland and he goes and drives up a volcano and takes photos of the snow. It's pretty neat. Anyway, Suzuki Jimny. Check it out.